Cooper, there's nothing that I wish more right now than to be with you, but I'm so thankful that I can see your We're Zooming, dude. this Zoom screen. We're on Zoom. We're back on Zoom. I feel like it's summer 2020 again, oh, but it's not. Heart out. Don't worry. It's just my brother's birthday. Shout out Cade McCullough. Shout him out. How old is he today? He is 20 years old. It's his Double second, digits. 10th birthday, and he's loving Goodness. it. Double digits. Is. That's right. Crazy. Cade's he's been older than 10 for 10 years, so it's a big accomplishment. That is a huge accomplishment. Good for Cade. Yeah. Happy happy birthday, Cade. We happy birthday, you. Cade. Today is May 25th. We're ahead of schedule. We're recording this on a Tuesday for next wow. Monday. This might Golly, be the Monica's going to be ever. so grateful. She'll be so proud. Normally, we're yeah. sending her these to edit like late Sunday night. Hey, get this out by the morning. But she's so faithful. She's so a faithful, faithful worker. You know what else is faithful, Cooper? What? Batteries. <laughs> uh, were you, yes. Were you charged so, with battery? I was not charged with battery. I'm talking about the things that make life go round. Oh, the that's power. good. I feel like tr- telling me that you were charged with battery, this would not be the right platform for that. No, I would I would probably call you yeah. on the cell phone. W- would I be what number call would I be if you were in jail? So, quick sidebar. If you two. went to jail, uh, two? Not two. No. You're probably three. It'd probably have to go wife, dad, coop. That's so that's an honor. Maybe not dad. <laughs> be a little I'm like, worried. I just am like, he's in Missouri. So I don't know. Right. Yeah. It might have to be you. It's an mm. honor to be your top five, at least. Oh, easily. Anyways, easily tell me about five. batteries. Zach. I feel like the type of battery that I always need is never available to me. The other day mm. I was at work I, and we have a remote control for the TV in our office and the remote control is not working. So I assume that it needs a new battery. So I go back to our drawer full of batteries where there's about 5,000 double A batteries. But it turns out the batteries, the batteries I need are triple A. Now uh, you're running trips, trips right. Running trips right. Except <laughs> you I was only had missing. the double coverage. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. That's, it was cover two. I was running trips right and it just didn't work for us. It's a bad combo, folks. Real bad combo. And I'm no engineer. I don't understand batteries, but why? Zach, you're many things. A battery aficionado is not one of them. That is true. We that will just, will we'll be just on my say tombstone. that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know yeah. batteries. But the and thing is, that's fine. You're a consumer. Yeah, yeah. You use them enough to know what they do. Exactly. They power the things I need to be powered. And mm. I appreciate them. I appreciate yeah. batteries for what they do for me. But what I don't appreciate is that there's so many different thing types of batteries that do the same thing. Now that that is an interesting thought. Now it's, you're kind of right school- though. I'm excluding like car batteries and some of those like massive square. <laughs> yeah, batteries. if you got nine double A's, yeah, more like I guess it'd be like ninety double A's in your car. I just imagine having to change all those out. That'd be <laughs> oh, you're saying like to run the car? Yeah, if you had like that would be outrageous. A's in the car, yeah, <laughs> that would be wild. But if we all had saying, one one battery. Yeah, yeah, but you're saying like remote. My coral remotes, is like yes. the little like we, wireless we remotes especially, <laughs> bro. I, the McCullough house burned through some Wii remote batteries back in the day. We, re- we really, so did the Funderbergs. But here's my thing. What is the difference between a AAA and a double A? Like why, why two? I, I, I think that, I think the difference is one A. Well, besides the A, we're running <laughs> oh, doubles or we're running trips. But here's my thing is why can't we just have one universal battery that powers everything? So, mm. 
when when I need a battery, we have one instead of being like, oh, you don't have this specific battery. Bump. You know what's the worst with batteries the worst, is Cooper. the is the little circular disc batteries that go in like your key fob for your car keys. If you oh. run out of that, you are you are using the hard key, no doubt. You, there is Easily. zero shot. You have one of those little tiny disc quarter size batteries anywhere near you. Yeah, for any, and they last like, like a week and a half. Time. You'll you'll just you'll never be like, oh, I. I was looking for these. Like I just happened to happen upon them. You have to go to some like back alley black market battery store to find yeah. those little cylinder ones. You literally have to get them off the black market. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yes, and I don't understand yes. why you can't just put our universal battery into whatever you need. You just get so you a double A and let it power up your watch. What I'm hearing, what I'm hearing a double A in your watch. Well, just I'm imagine saying this universal battery be. could be built differently. Okay. Like what if the built quarter different. built different? What if the quarter yeah. was for everything? We just use those mm. quarter ones, you know? So like, so, so theoretically it's like a remote. You have like 19 of those just kind of like going down the back of your remote. Yeah. But what if this one battery oh, was here's the deal. powered enough? You, you buy it in units. So it's always the same width, but the height is different. So if you just need one for a little bit of power, you slot it in. But if you need more, you make like, so it looks like a triple A or a double A or whatever but you actually have four batteries stacked and you put it in that. I mean, that solves all my problems. We are going to be rich. Zach Funderburg. I'm telling you, I'm just sick of needing AAA batteries. I'm sick. Yeah. Of it. yeah. It, there's never a moment you want to use AAA batteries or car service. Honestly. Oh, there's if a, you, that's a wonderful transition. Cooper. If, if you need AAA, it's a bad case scenario. I am a man of many car troubles, Zach. I've experienced it all. <laughs> Now, really now, luckily, I, I whip the foreign now. Good. Yes. Those, yeah, that is a pristine vehicle. For those of you wondering, I do, in fact, drive a Kia Soul, and I'm so proud. And he did buy it from Miss Frizzle herself. Yeah, the horn sounds like Miss Frizzle. But another side note, while we're tangenting, if you drive a Kia Soul, you are, a, you are, you are either one of two things. You are ashamed to show your face in public, <laughs> or you, you have to rock it because you know you drive a meme car. Zach, I drive a meme car and I'm proud. I know you're the most proud Kia driver probably in the world. <laughs> I, it just I, the the soul rides deep. Zach it does, Robert. and you're trying to also create the the Kia wave, and it's just not. Yes. On yeah, it. yeah. Those of you that have heard of the Jeep wave, I uh, if you drive a Kia Soul somewhere out there, and you ever drive past mine, currently it's uh, someone backed into me, so oh. it's uh, she's seen better days. But yes, start the Kia Soul wave, guys. It's just, I mean, it's basically a Jeep on steroids. It's a form. I think the next model of Kia could be run by our battery. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's kind of like a little RC car anyway. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, moral of the story, I'm sick of the different type of batteries. We need a universe. Elon, I'm calling on Elon Musk. If Elon anyone Musk. in this world can do it, it's if Elon. You, if you are out there, one, we'd love to interview. Oh, man. But you two, and your son that's named in Wingdings. We'd love it. <laughs> Is he actually? His son, have you not seen his son's name? No. It's the most ridiculous. He's named after like some like plane, but it's the most ridiculous. It's literally like wingdings. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. Awesome. Anyway, sorry. If, Elon Musk, if you're out there listening, we have the battery idea for you. Hire us and then come be on our podcast. And we'll uh, we'll name our also, we'll name our sons after wingdings as well. 
Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Conover, here with my co-host, Coop McCullough, and our sponsor, The Universal Battery by Elon Musk. Yeah, it's Caveat. soon to be. Future sponsor. Yes. Yeah. And Wingdings are also our sponsors, Wingdings. Yes, we should look into getting sponsored by Wingdings. They, nobody's cheering for Wingdings. They will be happy <laughs> to partner with us. Maybe that'll be next next week's intro. Why? Wingdings. What the flipstick? Why? Yeah. <laughs> Why in the world was Wingdings created? What is its purpose? Tune in next week to Tune find out week. what happened with Wingdings. Speaking of purpose, Cooper, we have a great interview today. Oh, you and your transitions, Zach. Your, your transitions have far more value than Wingdings does. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Dare I say it, Cooper? Zach, say it. Just say it. Get it my off your new, chest. My new favorite episode. Oh, Easily. wow. That feels good a to hear. wonderful conversation. This is Maggie Parker. Maggie is the founder and the managing partner of Innovon Neighborhoods here in Dallas, Texas. Innovon Neighborhoods wow. is an LLC that's people-centered, and their mission is to advance community-anchored real estate development through innovative and collaborative solutions. So what she I'm does- I'm in. She, I I'm mean, in. she is, I will say this for her, she is brilliant. Brilliant. We like, we love a brilliant podcast interview. She is so smart. And when I was talking to her, I was just like, wow, I'm this, some of this is kind of going over my head. So you might have to listen twice because she's very yeah. smart. But exactly. He's a smart guy. Well, you don't know a lot about batteries. So maybe that's why. <laughs> that's, that might be the reason. Yeah. But anyway, so what they do is they go into neighborhoods that neighborhood, typically neighborhoods, it's more of the residential uh, area. And they think about how can we build up this community? Last week, we talked about what it takes to build up young men and women to be leaders. But this week, we're talking yeah. about how to build the neighborhoods, because if the men and women are strong, the neighborhood's going to be strong. But also, if you have a thriving economy, you have entrepreneurship, you have businesses, you have, you have people that are willing to work hard, you have a strong neighborhood. And to build that, you have to have the infrastructure. So what she does is she's going and looking for these willing people and she's building the buildings around them. She was talking about some of the projects they have. And it honestly was so fascinating to hear how real estate is so important in the development of a, of a city and the development of our country. And I don't, I don't know. It was just so fascinating. So this is really just an awesome, awesome opportunity to learn of how do we build strong communities here in 2021. And, and it's something that you probably don't think about. You just kind of take for granted a house looks like a house because it's always been a house and the streets yeah. like this and the stop signs and the yards, and the driveways. It's just that's how the suburbs work. Or if you're in the yeah. city, that's how the city works. And I think it's interesting, like there are people who design these things. It's just something that you wouldn't think about unless you were looking for it. Right. And even with some of the neighborhoods that we see here in Dallas that are really run down, they're super old. And it takes someone like Maggie to come in and see something different rather than just a rundown city that everyone else would just drive through. She sees potential, she sees yeah. purpose, and she sees a future that she can build. And that's what got me so excited when I was talking to her about it. I was like, this lady is just a visionary. And so it's amazing. I mean, I'm excited for you guys to listen to this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Coop, should we send it that way? Send it her way. Send it to old Maggie. I will. Without further ado, here's our conversation with Maggie Parker.
Well, Maggie, thanks so much for being on and letting me ask you a few questions about what you do and how you are making an impact and making a difference as a leader here in Dallas, Texas. So I want you to start by just introducing yourself. Who are you and how do you get to where you are today? Yeah, so, uh, and Zach, th- thanks again for having me. I'm excited to join you. So, um, okay, so I am from Dallas, Texas. I left for a ton of school, uh, which included graduate school at UNC Chapel Hill, um, with the uh, city and regional planning program and then um, public administration. And I'm going to kind of explain my trajectory from there because that's really been pivotal. So um, really was interested um, in cities. How do they work? How do people kind of move back and forth? And any of those that are from Dallas, you know, I went to school in North Dallas, lived in the Southern sector, right? So like really saw how, where you lived, um, you know, the, the streets are different, the homes are different, but also sure. the possibilities of um, how you see, you know, what can happen in your life really does mm-hmm. change by neighborhood. So anyways, going back to school, um, I did kind of like a on-campus um, kind of, there was like a consulting firm on campus that worked with nonprofits and local governments on how to finance their real estate deals. Um, and so I, I really got plugged into that because I was very focused on if I want to change, you know, my community, how does that get done and what are the kind of financial tools to do that? So I, one of the principles that my dad taught me was like, follow the money, right? Which I'm sure a lot of people right. are thinking about. Um, and so that actually turned into real estate uh, finance and, um, you know, doing pro formas and trying to figure out how all of that cash flowed. Um, and so leaving school, I was able to move back to Dallas um, and started working at the Real Estate Council Community Fund, where I financed um, community-oriented real estate projects um, around the Dallas area, did a ton of technical assistance, so helping people get ready for funding. Um, and then uh, the last year or so, worked on a grant around equitable development. So I spent four years there, uh, left in 2019 to start this company, uh, Innovon Neighborhoods. Uh, So Innovon is a um, joint venture between myself and Matthew Southwest. They have a 30 plus year development track record. um, And we are doing community oriented, um, both consulting and development projects. So what does that look like on the consulting side? It's mainly like pre-development work. So helping people get ready for projects Um, that can be looking at a mixed income housing strategy to, um, you know, running development feasibility. So financial models um, on real estate deals, helping to strategize master plans um, to actually doing development. So um, I kind of have three projects in the pipeline now. So, a single family for rent or no single family for sale project serving families at 80% of AMI. So under 200 K mm-hmm. um, and then like a townhome project in Fort Worth and a single family for rent project in Dallas. Right. So those are the types of things that we're looking at um, really with this goal of how do we meet some of these community needs, do it at scale um, and do it with like community first in mind. So how did you start this company? Where did the idea come from? How did you get rolling in that sphere? So um, crazy enough, this is kind of like what I thought I would be doing in 20 years, right? Like right. Um, this is like, okay, when I get, when I'm 50 and I, you know, have this much money and, um, you know, I can start this type of development firm. Mm. 
And so um, I had kind of, you know, but I had been thinking about how, what type of, um, I guess, what type of um, experience um, do I need to have in order to have this type of company? So that's why I went and did the um, community loan fund. So when I kind of stepped out on my own, I had been talking to my business partner, so the Matthews team for about nine plus months and had had conversations with them initially really about, you know, can I come on staff, learn the business from you guys, et cetera. Um, and that conversation turned into, well, you know, how do you want to structure it? Do you want to be an employee? Do you want to form a partnership, et cetera? And I had not thought of partners doing a partnership in that time. And so that kind of reframed, you know, what would it look like to start my company with their support at this time? Um, and they've done joint ventures and partnerships a bajillion times. Um, so it's nothing new for them. Um, but it was definitely new for me. And I just remember yeah. kind of putting a lot of the, they were like, oh, come up with a term sheet. And I was like Googling all <laughs> kind of stuff. Yeah. To like at least have a draft, you know, of and then you, know, you get your lawyers and all that stuff to actually do it. But I was like, okay, I need enough to know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So it really came out of, you know, this is what I want to do long term, but somebody giving me a chance um, and really observing, you know, what I had done previously. Cause I just remember being shocked. I was like, wait, are you serious? Like, you're, yeah. you, this is how you want to work. And he was like, hey, I've been observing you for a while now, right? So I've, really feel comfortable that you could make this work and you're not going to abuse the opportunity. And I was like, you know, you never know who's in the room <laughs> right? <laughs> um, observing what you're doing. So that's kind of the trajectory um, in, from a couple different angles. Right. And there's really two main things I heard in there is that one, you don't know who's in the room. You don't know whose eyes are on you. You don't, whenever you're, you're getting things done, you don't know who's watching, who could be a future employer, somebody who could give you this opportunity. But then also something you said at the beginning that this is a role you thought you would be doing at a, at a later point in your life. When I get to this point, this age, this certain amount of money, I can start this. So what was it like? You're, you're not very old. You're, you're young. What was it like as a young person starting this business and saying, this is something I, I would like to do when I'm older, but why not start now? Because I feel like there's so many people in my generation that are at that point where they, they have dreams, they have things they want to do at a certain point, but what's stopping them from doing it now? What would you tell that person? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple of things, right? Like there's this line of thinking of, you know, you're relatively young, you have the rest of your life ahead of you. So whatever mistakes you're going to make, you can bounce back from. It's not right. going to be the end of the world. And if you do have a major mistake, you know, it's something that you can learn from and actually pivot to be stronger from it. Right. And I, you know, personally, I'm in a position where uh, I'm not married. I don't have any kids. So mm -hmm. whatever mistake I made, it was it's really on me. I know yep. for others who may have, you know, other different obligations, there's kind of different criteria, but again, you kind of, everyone has to make that assessment for themselves. The other thing I think is I've made, while I've kind of come out here and done my own opportunity, um, it's a very calculated risk, right? Yep. Like I've probably made the least riskiest risk because I, I had been um, observant and studying, like, why do these, the types of projects and companies that I want to be a part of not exist? Mm -hmm. And some of those things were like, 
real estate takes a long time to be profitable. This is yeah. not like, oh, you're going to be profitable in year one. Like yeah. the types of projects that I want to be a part of and that I'm leading out are like five-year projects, you know? Yeah. So you need patient capital that's going to come alongside mm-hmm. you. You know, you need, I need the level of expertise in a real estate deal. There's so many partners in a group because, you know, not one person is going to know everything. So you need folks that, you know, can come alongside you that fill in the gaps, right? So Mm. I would say, as anyone is assessing what the possibilities are, um, you know, there's the side of like, why not now? You might as well do it because you rather not live without regrets and you have the time, right? Like when you're Mm. 20, when you're 30, you still have another 30, 40 years ahead of you. Um, And at the same time, like, be very, very knowledgeable about the risk that you are going to take and seek guidance from others um, so that whatever risk that you are taking is a calculated one um, to try to kind of help limit the fall because uh, there's going to be mistakes regardless, right? Like, yeah. so. That's even just good to know and just good to hear from somebody who's walked that road is that there's going to be mistakes and you've got to take risks if you ever want to achieve those dreams. Because I feel like there's the two polar opposite people, the the overly ambitious people that don't calculate the risk and then the risk averse. And then there has to be somewhere in that medium that you're talking about where you have to be educated and, and have the calculated risk but you can't be averse to it. You have to just take the risk. You have to take the leap and go for it. And that's what you did. And that's how we've gotten to Innovon neighborhoods. And, and on y'all's website or online, I found a, kind of a vision, your vision of what you want to do with it. And it's to transform neighborhoods by addressing residents' interconnected needs for physical, social, and economic stability while maintaining and celebrating a community's unique culture. Such a wonderful mission and wonderful vision for what you're doing. Can you break it down? How did you get to that point? And what does that mean for your work? Ooh, um, okay. So there's a lot of different components. So let me actually pull it up again so I can remember um, and get to all of those pieces. So yes, of course. Um, okay. Um, so that first part, so transforming neighborhoods by addressing the interconnected needs, right? So, mm-hmm. um, for me, a lot of times there's kind of two lenses that I'm coming at this, right? The community development piece, which is really saying, you know, how are we socially, economically providing stability for people? How are we addressing poverty? How are we aligning education needs? How are we aligning yeah. the need for job creation? And then there's the side of like the real estate deal, which is, you know, the physical, you're building an asset. And so for me, connecting those two and seeing where those different priorities align is really what got me interested in real estate in the first place. Like if you ask mm-hmm. me from day one, I'm a community developer that uses real estate as a tool to do this work. Yep. And so in talking about the vision for the company, it's really acknowledging that all of these components actually have to come together um, in order to really serve communities in the long term, right? Like you need those physical assets that from day one. So in your selection of vendors, in the in the assessment of the market, um, in you know who you look to partner with, all the way to seeing what the long term impacts of that building is going to be, all that all has to kind of come together at once. And so to the second part of that um, kind of vision statement is saying. So maintaining and celebrating a community's unique culture. 
So a lot of times when people think about, especially new development in typically distressed neighborhoods, like there's a conversation of gentrification or how are you acknowledging, you know, thinking alongside equitable development and acknowledging the history of the place, right? So as the work that I'm doing in any new development, I typically like to partner with community organizations that are already there so that Mm -hmm. they can start to kind of say, okay, what does this asset look for our community in the long term? Whether that is some component of ownership, whether that is, you know, what the building is named, what the, the arts that are kind of expressed uh, in the building, who who are the tenants, right? Are they locally right. based tenants? So um, there's a lot of ways that that can be um, demonstrated in a project, but that statement is really to talk to demonstrate like the impact of real estate is is um has an impact on so many components of our lives so both social economic physical etc and then while we look at how real estate is a tool how do we ensure that the existing community and the existing leadership is engaged but also benefits from that work Hmm. yeah it's so amazing to see that the the intersection of your vision of the intersection of the real estate and the community development and really that community development is kind of downstream from the real estate development is that wherever you're able to build healthy communities it's that that community develops and so with this mission that you have what are some common barriers that you run into what are what are the main issues that come up whenever you're trying to achieve this goal Yeah. So um, there's a lot, right? You know, it's it's one of those things where if it was easy, it would already be done on a lot of these projects. And so, um, so let me just take this Fort Worth deal as an example, because you know I'm running into typical hurdles that you would see. So for one, it's it's on city-owned land, um, in historically African American neighborhood, which is you know. has has not seen the level of investment that's needed in the area. And the city wants to do this catalyst project, right? Well, that's exciting. And, you know, who wants to be the first one out there? Right. Um, and so when you when I'm trying to demonstrate, okay, well, we can get, we can sell the proper the homes for this much, or we think that these types of businesses can be in the area. I'm not just convincing like the lender and the city who need to put funding into this deal. I'm convincing the community. (laughs) I have to tell them like, and I I have to convince potential buyers like, okay, why is this project a benefit for your neighborhood? And then why do we, um, you know, how do we get local businesses in here? Because they're, these businesses, are they going to thrive in an area that, there's no other businesses here, right? Other businesses are not here for a reason because their right. assessment of the area is the same as everyone else's. So, mm-hmm. you know, so there's a lot of convincing that has to happen. Um, you know, in other projects, um, because there's um, has not been a lot of uh, money put into infrastructure, um, then you have areas where like the infrastructure is nearly a hundred years old. Yeah. And so, you know, so you go into newer areas of town and that's not an issue, but you go into, you know, uh, areas that have been disinvested. And so when your infrastructure is old, then that transfers to your housing costs, which then means that, um, you know, you can't make it as affordable as you would like. So you're, again, then trying to find some gap financing. 
Um, and then going back to the, the Fort Worth project, another example is so we had public comment. People could kind of type in and vote for which product they wanted. Well, on the comments that I received, I got everything from the price points that you have are too low. We want to have a, you know, a higher end neighborhood and you're catering to folks that, um, you know, can only afford this, you know, level of home price. And then yeah. you have, I get similar comments in the same group that say, um, these price points are too high. I don't know who it, who's going to be able to afford this in the community, right? So there's literally community members that have different perspectives on what they want their neighborhood to look like. Um, what prices make sense for them, right? So for some people, they want to raise their property value so then they can sell, you know, in five years. And some people yeah. are saying, well, if I can't afford to live there, then why, why are you building something that's not for me? So again, there's all these components from the real estate comp side of things, as well as engaging the community side of things where there's a clash and try to find that middle ground in, in the variety of perspectives is a part of the challenge. Mm. So when you're going into these communities, are you wanting to promote and grow the entrepreneurship side of, of businesses and grow uh, like small businesses in those communities? I'm, I'm trying to do it all, right? So, right. Um, so when we talk about, so I talk about small businesses from in the Fort Worth project, cause a third of those yeah. townhome units are going to be live work units. And gotcha. so we think about, I think about it from the end user perspective of like, we would want, um, businesses in that area that are like, have a community mindset because they're going to be there for the long term. Like someone's mindset on, on how they view that area Will help will be their assessment of how much money they can make and is this a good investment for their company. The other side of that is, you know, as I'm picking vendors and um, and contractors to actually build the units and do professional services, and this is across all projects. Then I'm typically looking for um, folks that are, you know, people of color that are leading those businesses. Uh, cause it's, it's not, there's not a lot of folks that are in the real estate business. And so the more kind of funding I can pass their way, um, to help them grow their businesses within the real estate projects that I'm managing the better. So those are kind of different ways we're looking at it. Yeah. I kind of want to have you paint a picture for us and just kind of help our mindset. So there's obviously there's neighborhoods, there's areas of Dallas and different cities that when you drive by, they're obviously older. It, it is run down. Like you said, the funding hasn't been put into a, as some of the newer parts of town. So whenever you look at that, what do you see? Because I feel like a lot of people drive by it. They just see old buildings that are just, they're just sitting, there's no good, but what do you see? What opportunity do you see and how do you kind of switch your mindset and how can you help us switch your mindset to see that there is, there is progress to be made in these areas that can revitalize and we can build strong communities in these areas that might be older. Yeah. So just, let's just take a real estate perspective at it first, right? Like okay. the real estate model is, um, buy low, sell high. Right. So from that, from that lens of things, the cycle of cities means that one area is going to be hot. And then in the next 20, 30 years, that neighborhood is going to decline. And then from there, somebody will be able to buy low 
And then another 20, 30 years, it'll be the next hot market, right? Like, yeah. so cities go in a cycle. That's just the nature mm -hmm. of things. So when we see areas that are distressed, um, it is often that, you know, at some point, it's going to be the next it area. Um, the question is, who sees the vision first? And who has the funding to help move that vision forward? And a lot of times that's going to come from local governments that, view that because um, the, the decline of an area, especially in Dallas and especially in a lot of these more Southern cities as well, is aligned to racism and, and how people have viewed areas because there's this perception of, well, it's too many Black people or it's too many Hispanic people or, you know, this is an area where trailer parks are or something like people have perceptions around what should go in the area based on what's already there. So when I look at an area, it's starting to think about, okay, what are maybe the existing assets are older, but what's surrounding that? Like what's the proximity to downtown? What are, you know, if you take um, the Southern sector, you're gonna talk about the proximity to Fair Park. You're gonna say, okay, well, these highways connect you to the inland port. So that's a ton of jobs. Or you talk about, um, you know, uh, what else is there? I mean, so, the, I mean, those are the types of things like recreation. Those are things yeah. that people may be interested in. And so you start to see what the potential is. Um, and it's from this perspective of, again, buy low, sell high. Yeah. Um, and then from there, from just kind of taking the community lens, we also have to look at what are the existing assets and resources in the neighborhood. A lot of times that's not necessarily demonstrated in the exterior, but it's demonstrated mm -hmm. in like the people that are there, the culture that they bring to um, to a neighborhood. So um, a Dallas example would be Deep Ellum. Yeah. Okay. So like if people just drove by Deep Ellum, you know, and seeing the cycles that it's been through over the years, you know, the past iterations, it's just been, you know, some days it's run down and some days it's the next best thing, right? Like, it right. Really just, you know, what year you went. But the yeah. big thing about Deep Ellum was, you were going to get so many different types of people in one place. Um, and people were making money because they enjoy being around, you know, all these yeah. different types of people. They enjoyed the vibe. So the culture of the area did not match, did not match the exterior. And mm -hmm. so now you see where there are all these high rise new developments that are, you know, again, buying low, selling high because they're like, well, People enjoy the culture of this place. There's proximity to downtown. There's proximity to transportation. There's all these other assets. Um, and so it, it kind of just takes a vision to really see yeah. like, what the possibilities are, but it has to be anchored in something that attracts people and resources to that area or is in proximity to that area. And there's some good food in Deep Ellum as well. I will say yeah. that. My goodness. Uh, what about education? I think another important part about developing a community is access to good education in that area, because we can build the infrastructure, we can build the real estate out as much as we can. But if we're not developing the people in the community through good education, the, the stronger community will never come. So how is what's the relationship between the real estate side and then education? So um, it's interesting because it's like, it's almost like a chicken and the egg thing, right? Mm -hmm. So like, um, 
a lot of, especially residential development follows education, um, yeah. like like good schools, right? Like people are right. buying homes, depending on what school district you're in or proximity to certain, uh, maybe private schools or things like that. Um, but also like education and the educational system determines how people view a neighborhood. Right. And so like for me, it's been interesting to see like, okay, DISD is trying to do a lot of new things. And, and so where they place some of those opportunities um, aligns with certain neighborhoods, right? Or neighborhoods that they want to see be reinvested in yeah. um, because they see the alignment between, okay, well, if this school is a high performing school and we put this in proximity to an area that maybe um, you know, is already improving or can be improved, then there's alignment between, you know, this being an asset for that area. So it's it's very much closely aligned. And I think more people in the education space are seeing that as a, you know, how do they how do they support the future of education and that alignment between education and quality housing is a big one. Mm. Yeah, I think it's so important. Something you wrote once that I found online, another uh, interview article you had done is we must consider how we use our power to work with neighborhoods on solutions that revive communities. So using our power to work on these neighborhoods, kind of using that influence and leveraging it to build up these strong communities. So how can institutions such as nonprofits or the local city government, how can banks, how can businesses, how can leaders get involved to working with communities? And, and so the solution is kind of a shared solution for everybody. How can leaders get involved in doing what you're doing? Yeah, so I think um, the big thing for me is that everyone realizes that they have power and influence in whatever component that they're in, right? So mm -hmm. everyone's not going to be the real estate developer. Everyone's not going to be the community advocate, right? But like your lens on the world um, is, and, and what you're passionate about can support communities in different ways. Yeah. So I think that's important, you know, to for people to realize like they can help wherever they're at. I think if someone decides that, okay, now I want to be more pointed in that way of service, right? So what I find most important is um, finding those that are already doing the work and helping them, uh, coming alongside them is like a first step. Mm -hmm. um, I think what often happens is for folks that are not in community, they think they have the next big idea. And without realizing that like, you're one of 10 people who come in the last 12 months with that same big idea, right? Right, and so, right. And people don't always think about what the long term, you know, um, looks like. So a lot of these projects, it takes decades. Mm -hmm. And so unless you come in with the intention of you're literally going to spend the next 20 years is this being your project, then coming alongside another group that you find that's doing the work is actually like more beneficial than you trying to step out and do something different. Right. And so. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's very, very common for people to get excited and then the next year or two, they're gone to the next thing, which is fine. It's not everyone's calling to be in an yeah. issue for 20 years, but just acknowledging that from the jump. Um, and so from there, really ensuring that, um, you know, what a, when, when starting something and coming alongside existing organizations, that the, the thought process is how do I position this group to enhance or build their capacity to do this work, right? So what do I bring to the table that can support that? That can be everything from 
helping somebody build out their website to serving on the board to, um, you know, being a volunteer to providing services um, in HR, right? Like everyone's gift is helping to build the capacity of existing organizations. And so Mm. from that standpoint, um, I just think there's a ton of opportunities to have an impact. And um, in order to do that in a way that is building communities long-term, you have to really, you know, be conscious of who's already doing the work and how you can support them and or partner with them in the work that's happening. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. What, off the top of your head, I'm kind of putting you on the spot. What are some groups in Dallas that people can get involved with that are doing projects that have a mission that people can really just come alongside and help support? There's, there's thousands, right? Oh, like, yeah, I know. Just some that stick out to you. Nonprofit capital of the world. So um, I will, I guess I'll just list some of the groups that I've worked, I'm, I currently work with, right? Yeah. Um, so for instance, I work with Golden Seeds Foundation, which is a group in the bottom neighborhood. Um, you know, I'm working with them on single family housing, but they have a ton of projects. Um, I work with Builders of Hope, CDC. They're a nonprofit developer. Um, uh, they have, they just launched like a, a community plan, uh, that's going to come out of West Dallas here soon. Um, I work with my possibilities, uh, which is a group out in Collin County. They are looking to build a residential project, uh, for, um, adults with disabilities. And so mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying that because it's a different way of thinking about inclusion, yeah. um, in real estate deals. Um, what other groups would I mention? Forest Forward, they're working on revitalizing the Forest Theater in South Dallas. Um, and then there, I worked with them on some housing projects, but that's also in partnership with St. Phillips and Cornerstone uh, or St. Phillips School and Community Center and Cornerstone uh, Baptist Church. Yeah. Um, Harmony CDC, they are in uh, the Redbird area. Um, and so looking at, they're looking at um, how they can have a master the, plan for future development for that uh, help support like generations of people. Um, So both, you know, kids all the way to seniors. Um, So, I mean, those are some of the groups that are top of mind. Um, There's a ton. Um, Those are just some that, you know, I currently work with and I know that are doing really good work. Yeah, that's amazing. And I would encourage anybody listening here to find a group, whether it's one that Maggie just mentioned or one that you can find in Dallas to get involved with and help develop these communities. Um, Maggie, I want to ask you just one more question that we love asking all of our leaders. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self out of your vast years of experience? (laughs) What advice would you look back and give to yourself at 20 years old? At 20 years old, yeah, I think I would tell myself, um, whatever decisions that you make like next week, it's not the end of the world. Like I, I've very much been a planner (laughs) and I'm like, okay, well, these milestones and I'm going to do this in the next five years and all this other stuff. And, you know, realize that some of the disappointments are actually for your good. You know, it helps you to see what you don't need to be doing, or it steers you into a different possibility. Um, and so, you know, I would just say enjoy the moment that they're learn as much as possible um, and realize that learning does not stop in school. Um, yeah. Learning takes you to, you know, have learning objectives for every internship, have learning objectives for every job that you have, um, because in outlining those, you know, so being strategic in what you learn and when you learn 
um, it's really going to help you define, you know, your career in the long term. So those are some things yeah. I would think about. That's great. I think it's so important to always be a lifelong learner while you're enjoying the moment and that knowing that the decisions you make now or next week is not the end of the world, but it provides opportunity for you to learn and grow for the future. Maggie, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing here in Dallas and for taking a moment to be on the Next Generation Leader podcast. We appreciate it more than you know. Well, thanks, Zach.